Morning. Whoa, that's loud. So there were times in the Old Testament where God would tell the prophets to um, use a visual. Because you remember things you see better than words, right? You probably never went up to a person that says, I remember your face. Uh, I remember your name, but I forget your face, right? You, you remember them. So I thought I'd use this as a quick illustration. Anybody can tell what this is? A shoehorn, right? So the message today is comparing Melchizedek to the Levite priesthood. So if this is a shoehorn, what is this? That's a Melchizedek shoehorn. You can put on your shoe without even bending over. So it's awesome. You know, I saw that. I said, you know, there's that movie. The guy flies to the alien ship, and he says, I have got to get me one of these. I look at that and go, you know, when you get older, you don't want to bend over. So Melchizedek, it's a Hebrew word, of course. Of, made of two words, Melchi is king, Sedek is righteous. And, um, you know, sometimes when Todd gives me an assignment, one time he gave me the genealogy, and I go, what do you, what do, you do with the genealogy, right? So-and-so begot, so-and-so begot. And this time he said he, I wanted, to, uh, wanted me to cover Genesis uh, 14, which has uh, Melchi said, actually, the only time that his name is mentioned and he's there as a person. And I got one verse that talks about him. And, um, and it, he has an incredible foreshadowing. It's so important. And I wonder, why does God only have one verse about the guy? And I think it's kind of like this. You know, there's other people in the Old Testament that are types of Christ, like Joseph in the same book, Genesis. You know, Joseph is mentioned 157 times in Genesis. And I go, how come Melchizedek only gets one? It's like, I think it's like this. Sometimes if you found in a field a, a, a boulder the size of a bowling ball that was pure silver, that'd be worth a lot, wouldn't it? But if you found a diamond that was the size of a, a baseball, that would be even worth more. So this is only one verse, but as we'll see, it has humongous uh, implications. So this is the short portion. Uh, the, The context is Abraham came to the land, chapter 12. In chapter 13, Lot and him had so much stuff they had to separate. Lot chose to live in Sodom for some reason, and he was taken captive. Abraham rescued him, and this is after he's returned from uh, this battle that he won and rescued Lot. And it says, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shabbat, that is the king's valley. And after his return from the defeat of Cheliodamer, the king and the kings were with him. And so this is, this is the only one verse where his name and the person are in, in, in the whole Bible. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tenth of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons and you can take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king, I have raised my hand to the 
Lord, the God most high and the possessor of heaven and earth. And I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap that I will not take anything that is yours. Least you should say, I have made Abraham rich. Except only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Anner, Eskel, and Mamre, let them have their portion. So, a huge type of crisis we'll see later, but here we only have one verse and one uh, time where we have the person's name and a witness. He's, he's meeting Abraham, right? So I, I was thinking about this. Lord, as you go into the Melchizedek priesthood in the New Testament, it's, it's a huge subject. Why just one verse? And um, like I said, it's a, it's a diamond here that is... Because if you took away this verse from the Bible, you would go into the New Testament. I can imagine a young believer right after Pentecost got saved and trying to witness for Christ, saying, you should, we found the Messiah. He is the great high priest. And uh, the Jew would have said, really? What tribe is he from? And they would have said, tribe of Judah. And the, the Jew would have said, he can't be the high priest. High priest can only come from the, the tribe of Levi. Disqualified. But because of this one verse that's in the Bible, your reply could be, he's not a Levitical priest. He's the priest of Melchizedek, which is much higher, as we'll see. So in the, in the next slide, you know, sometimes we don't um, accomplish the important things in life because we don't even know what they are. And if you were to ask God, you know, if you ask him, Lord, what is the most important thing in your, your priorities? You know, you, you would think, well, maybe the streets of gold, maybe the big pearl. It took a lot of time to make that pearl. I didn't want anybody to touch it. But you know what, God, is the most important to God? People. Amazing, huh? And on our side, if a man chooses right, what should be the most important thing in his life? God. So it's like a perfect match, right? What does God want? People. What should we want if we want the right thing? God. So the only trouble is for this to actually be accomplished because of on the second one, man, he's fallen. Now what do you do? He can't save himself. So now we have a third thing that's the most, one of the top important things. If you go to the next slide. And that is a Melchizedek level priest, an advocate, an intercessor, a person who can go to bat for you because you can't save yourself. So we have the three important things in life. Let's take a look real quickly to prove, uh, go to the next slide, prove that the the most important thing to the Father is his people. In Deuteronomy it says the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob the place of his inheritance. The word possession, inheritance in Old Testament, it was the, uh, in a natural way of saying, the most important thing um, for an Israelite in the land of promise. The most important thing was their land. Agricultural people, the most important thing was to have some property. So um, if we jump down to the next verse, just the yellow part there, you know, where Jesus talks, don't lay up treasures in heaven. Lay, lay him up in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. So you can tell what God treasured best by what he gave up his treasure for. 
And what did he give up? What's his greatest treasure? Jesus. And what did he give him up for? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So we see this pattern, Old New Testament. Uh, when God, when Samuel anointed Saul, King Saul, he says, I made you a commander over my inheritance. This is my chief thing, my people. Treat them right. When Jesus was restoring Peter, he said three times, do you love me? You know, and Jesus didn't say, do you love me? If you do, build me big monuments, great churches. No, he says, feed my sheep. He's concerned about people. All right, let's turn to the next slide. What should be man's most important thing, his priority? As we see in the Old Testament, the most privileged tribe didn't get any property. And I can imagine, you know, as they, they got out, the Reubenites got this pasture land on the east of Jordan because they had lots of sheep, and Caleb got grape area where the grapes were so big he took a pole to carry them. Um, and so they came to Levite, and they said, now what are we going to get? And he says, you don't get any land. You don't get anything. What? We're getting chipped? He says, no, you get the Lord. That's the best thing ever. So the best thing that can happen to any man is that he finds Christ and salvation in Christ. You can gain the whole world, but if you don't have that one thing, you may be Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, and all these guys have tons of money, but if you never find Christ, Jesus said, what does it profit? That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Tell that guy that has $400 billion, what does it profit you if you don't have Christ? I think in the, their story in, in the Matthew, um, remember the story where the, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus and said, I have a, a request of you. He says, can my two sons sit on your right hand and left hand in the kingdom? You know, this was one smart cookie. Now, she didn't get what she wanted, but to ask for the greatest thing ever, you know, it's one thing to be saved and in Christ, right? But how would you like to have the privilege of being at his right and left hand? I mean, that's like the supreme reward, isn't it? You know, after Jesus accomplished uh, his assignment, what did God allow him to do? Sit down at his right hand. The closer you are to God, the better off, the better the reward is. In fact, remember when Abraham said, I ain't going to take a thread from you, king of Sodom. The very next verse in the next chapter says, the Lord appeared to him and says, uh, Abraham, I am your shield and I am your exceedingly great reward. So the greatest thing that we can accomplish is possessing the presence of God. All right? So here's the two things. Most important thing in God's mind, I want people. Most important thing a man can make is I want God. And to uh, describe, I think, uh, more clearly what I'm saying about God's desire, you know, every coin has two sides. I'll describe the two sides of God's concern for people. The, the, one, the first one that I think describes it perfectly is the prodigal son story. Remember? The guy goes out, messes up royally, but he comes back, and you think the father would, like, put him on probation, and, and after five years of good behavior, he'd, you know. But it, what does he do? He runs to him, which is undignified in that culture. He is so excited that he's home. 
He, he says, give him the best robe, put a ring on his hand, throw a big, kill the fatty, right? So this, what moves God is when people return to him. And then in John, the third epistle, the fourth verse, John speaking as a father now, age father of, of uh, watching after the sheep of God, speaking from Holy Spirit, uh, reflecting, I believe, totally the father's heart. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. So the two sides of God's concern for people, he wants them to come back to him. He wants them to walk in the truth and grow. So discipleship and, and evangelism. So those things describe what God's goal is. So let's go to the next verse. Now, I'm not going to go through all this. Don't be, we'll be here 14 days, right? I, I took like 10 minutes to look through the Old Testament first five books. And, and every time I saw offering, I go, what kind of offering is that? What kind of offering is that? And I came up with like 21 of them just in like five minutes, right? So this is what the Levitical priest would do for you to try to make you right with God. You know, there's the burnt offering, drink offering, sin offering, peace offering, I mean, on and on and on, right? There's no end to it. You know, just one verse out of Numbers kind of gives you the description of the cost and the number, and it's, it's complicated to do it right, right? He says, and, there, and this was a peace offering, two oxen. You know, I bought half a cow, and I've got one about broke, Right? With two oxen, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, and they had to be in the first year. Other times, it's the third year. I mean, you'd need a lawyer to go with you just to make sure you're doing it right. Then, now we're talking about different kind of offerings, but different times of the year that you'd have, right? You had the Sabbath offering, morning offering, evening offering, the new moon, the seven feasts, they all had different offerings. And then there was like, I call it the crisis offering. Remember when David sinned and the angel was going to destroy Jerusalem and he had to uh, come up with an offering randomly right there on the spot. So I didn't even go into all the different animals, which who knows how many that would be. And so you go through all this. Imagine if you're a convert to Judaism, right? And you want to get right with God. And you go through a whole year cycle from Passover to Passover. You go through all these different sacrifices. Now, if, he, if this guy lived in northern Israel and that he had to require, uh, he had to walk to Jerusalem three times a year, that would be about 500 miles. So, can you imagine this new convert goes through all this stuff. He's walked 500 miles. He's done all these things, all these sacrifices. And then he comes to the priest after the hearing and says, man, I'm exhausted. Am I now right with God? And the priest would have to say, no. He said, no, what, I have to have another sacrifice? And he said, no, not another one. You have to do the same thing again that you did last year. How long have you got to do that? How long are you going to live? And what was the bottom line after he did all this? I don't know if you can even read that. It says in Hebrews, uh, for the law made nothing perfect. In other words, it never got done, never got completed. It'd be like having a, a leak in your roof and the roofer comes up and says, here's the solution, a five-gallon bucket. Well, that's better than nothing, but it's not really a good solution. I remember my dad telling me a story. This was like 50 years ago, so it, I don't know why it impacted me. I just thought it was funny. He had a guy at work. He lived in Seattle. We were in Seattle at the time. You don't have to wait too long if your new car has a leak, right? 
And his new car had a leak in the trunk. He opened the trunk one day, and all this stuff was wet. So he took it to the dealer and said, man, a brand new car. And wonder what's the deal? It's leaking. And he said, oh, we'll fix it. So he came back, and he said, he opened the trunk. It was dry. Oh, okay. And he said, oh, by the way, what would you do to fix it? And they said, you know, you're thinking, well, we put a brand new seal around there and siliconed it and everything. They said, oh, we drilled a few holes in your trunk. <laughs> really? <laughs> that was the, the answer. We drilled a few holes in your trunk. So was that better? I suppose a little bit. At least when you open the trunk, it's not a fishbowl. But still, everything in there is wet. So the Levitical, you think they would have got a clue after a while. It says, all right, I'm not quite getting this because we're not going anywhere with it. You know, we're just keep sacrificing over and over again. And I, I'm never uh, justified. So you see how um, time-consuming and costly it was. And the end result? Do it again. It's like... Football practice. You run a lap. Now what, coach? Run another lap. Take another lap. Round and round. So let's go to the next slide. Now this is what the Melchizedek level priest will do for you. It's, an, it's just an incredibly different. All right, Romans uh, 6.10 says, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So in, in Hebrews 7.21, it says, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are, he's talking to Jesus. You're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices for their own sins, then for the peoples, for he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. Not with the blood of bulls and goats and calves, and, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal inheritance. Who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand, of the majesty on high. So we see, can you imagine the relief it would be for a person living under the Levitical law year after year, all the costs, the sacrifice, and all the requirements, then coming to Jesus and going, we're, we're done? I'm, I'm okay with God now? One sacrifice? You know, the, the word better really doesn't seem to describe how much better it is in my mind. You know, premium gas at 92 octane is better than regular at 87. Yeah, that's better. But how do you say better that the blood of God, the blood of Christ is better than the blood of bulls and goats? It's better, but it doesn't seem to be a powerful enough word to describe. So we can go to the next slide. Do a quick comparison. So if you had a Levitical priest, can you imagine having your priest was one of the sons of Eli that were sleeping with the women at the tabernacle? And you go there because you sinned, and you go, wait a second, you're worse than me. How can you help me? 
So if you had a Levitical priest, he could die. You could have a favorite priest, and then you go there, and well, he's dead. Now you've got to find another guy. He could, that's he could only cover. It's like if you have a big stain on your shirt, you know, you could put something over it, and you go, people say, what are you doing? There you go. See, it only covered it. It didn't remove it. Still ugly. And it required never-ending sacrifices as we talked. Here's, here's, I think, is a big one, access to God. I figured there must have been the time of David about 4 million people. He counted the, the men that were fighting age. That would have been, you know, 20 years old and older. He didn't count the women, didn't count the children, didn't count the old men that couldn't fight. And there was 1.3 million. So there must have been about 4 million, I guess, people in Israel. And if you had asked under Levitical restrictions, um, how many people can actually go into the presence of God? One out of four million. Well, how often can he go? Once a year. Once a year. One out of four million. So how much better is the the Melchizedek priesthood? The Bible says that any believer can come boldly to the throne of grace in their time of need. Anytime. What's the difference between one out of four million once a year and anybody as often as they want to? And the Bible says we can come boldly by the blood, not boldly by your, your own righteousness. I often imagine the fear and trembling of the high priest going into the Holy of Holies. You know, there, I, I've heard stories where they'd tie a rope around his leg in case they had to drag him out. Uh, it's a great story, but I don't know. Probably not true. But you can imagine the day when the two sons of Aaron went in to offer incense, and the Bible uh, required them not to offer strange fire, which means any fire other than which came from the sacrifice. Oh, you know. So they go in, apparently, with strange fire. Both of them offer incense, which is right at the, the, the veil between the Holy of Holies. Like imagine the, the priests, the other priests outside say, man, they're taking a long time. What's going on? So you go in there, and what? They're dead. You know, I can imagine the, the high priest the next year, which would have been Aaron, going into the Holy Holies. I bet he was pretty darn careful about walking into that place. And yet, under the blood of Christ, what does the Bible say? You can come boldly. To the throne of grace. You can come boldly by the blood of Christ. So, how much better is the priesthood of Melchizedek? You know, I think if any of us lived under the Levitical law for a year, we would thank God for the new covenant like ten times more appreciative. Right? That we wouldn't have to go through all this. I mean, you know, even simple things like hunting in Idaho, you almost need a lawyer with you, you know. Can I shoot that animal with this gun at this day, at this time? No, you're two minutes early. I swear elk have Alexa or something to say, tell me when it's two minutes before hunting, right, so I can leave the field. And so, and that's relatively easy compared to the things we talked about with the Levitical law. 613 commandments. How many different sacrifices? Could you even come close to describing to me what a heave offering is? 
How about a wave offering? What if you did the offering and the priest said you forgot to wave it? You know, it's like, man, I wouldn't want to live under that system. And, and the, the worst thing about it, I think, is that after you've done it all, you, you're still a sinner. You're just covered for another period of time. You still, you know, I can imagine if we lived under the Levitical system and Todd was our priest, you know, and every time we sinned, we had to bring an animal to sacrifice. If you went down to Todd's house, you'd think he'd have a zoo, right? He says, what is going on here? What's my people? They're just screwing up and need to offer another offering. <laughs> you know, but with Christ, you can take care of it instantly. The Bible says that if we confess our sin, he's just and forgive us and restore us into fellowship instantly. You know, we'd all be broke. Let's admit it. If you had to offer an oxen every time, we'd all be broke. We'd have nothing. So I just want us to get a glimpse of what Christ has done for us and how much God loves us. You think about it. He had a choice between keeping his son and getting and not getting you or giving up his son and getting you. It's like he gave up Jesus for me? What kind of love is that? What kind of unbelievable sacrifice is that? And he delights in us when we bring people to him and when we disciple them and bring them on. So it says in Genesis 14, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. I can't think of a better segue than if you turn to the next slide. Red and wine. Um, sorry for the color. I, I left it in the red edition because that's the words of Jesus. It's hard to read. So here, we, you, you know, probably see the parallel between the great high priest, Melchizedek, bringing Abraham bread and wine, and Jesus, our great high priest, saying, take, eat, this is my body. Drink, this is my blood. You know, you think, well, just one verse, though. That's a lot to rely on, you know. But you think about it. Okay, there's only one verse, but it's a diamond in my mind. And two, another point, who wrote Genesis 14.8? Moses. And who was the witness of Melchizedek? Abraham. Can you imagine a Jew arguing with you on that? Moses and Abraham, they go, I don't know about that guy. I better know about that. The two most revered people probably in that early time of of Judaism, Abraham and Moses, they were the only ones. One wrote about it and one was the actual witness. So we're going to move to communion, but let me pray. Father, we just thank you for the ministry of your son, the Melchizedek-level priest, who doesn't require us, Lord, to go through all these offerings and rituals over and over and over again that don't avail anything, but he became the once-and-for-all sacrifice, the one that totally satisfied you, and you exalted him to your right hand to prove that what he did was accepted to you. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to see and to receive all that you have done for us, that we would not put ourselves under the law and struggling to be right 
but Lord, that we would accept everything you've done for us and walk in the light of what you have accomplished through Christ for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare ourselves for what I feel is the most important thing as we come take the elements is how much Jesus loved us and wants us to remember how much he loved us, that he gave himself for us so that we don't have any more sacrificial system that we have to obey but we have one voluntary remembrance of what Jesus did for us there on the cross dying for our sins once for all but we are charged to remember In Hebrews 11, it's the Hall of Fame of Faith, we call it. Noah got drunk. Abraham kept lying about his wife. David had his, slept with his mighty men's wife and then had him killed. So I don't think you're disqualified from being used by God. We have a great high priest. You know, this isn't a license to sin, but it's to know that you don't have to be perfect to be used by God. If God had used perfect people there wouldn't be anybody but Jesus right I've always often thought we had to rip out the Bible of everybody that's messed up well Moses killed a guy ripped that first five books out David there's half the Psalms we would have the true red letter edition wouldn't we <laughs> the only guy that did it right so up uh, soup and pie up at the seniors and have a good week <laughs>